Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This time we're going to be in Nehemiah 6, and we saw last time the project take a detour. So I was at an event yesterday, and I was really having a great time talking to people and witnessing and just talking about my love of history. And I always bring the historical background into the Bible. If you've been following us through Nehemiah, this was a historical fact. The 5th century B.C., under the Persian domination, King Artaxerxes I Longimanus sends Nehemiah back. Before that, he sent Ezra back, Zerubbabel, to rebuild the temple, which was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonian Empire. So in Jerusalem, in Israel, there was this massive structure, the temple where the people worshipped, and there were the walls of Jerusalem. Okay, everything is raised to the ground. Now the 5th century B.C., the Persians send the Jews back to help to rebuild it, and the temple goes up first. Now the walls are going up, and it's almost completed. Last two Sundays ago, Nehemiah 5, the title was The Project Takes a Detour. Uh, and that was two out of three uh, sermons, today's a three out of three, that basically not, is not only going to talk about, you know, doing a work of God, uh, trying to live a right life, trying to be a Christian, and just getting attacks, getting detoured, getting sabotaged, trials. Again, some of these preachers, they go on TV and you think that once you become a Christian, all your problems end. That's not scriptural. Satan is, is well aware of what's going on. He doesn't like it. Okay, we're going to talk about that as well. But today, the title is Victory at Last. And you know, if you've been a Christian for some time, and you're really trying to do the right thing, and you're going through all these attacks, and all of a sudden, you see the light at the end of the tunnel, proverbially. And you see that God is, does a great work, and he brings you through, and you look back and go, oh, I'm so glad that it was over. So, Nehemiah, this is, again, we got the whole book to go through, but this is going to be the third sermon where the attacks come fast and furious, and then we see this victory at last. So I'm going to read something that Warren Wiersbe wrote on the subject. It does have to do with leadership, but there are sub-themes of just being an average person dealing with personal attacks. So let me read this to you. Page 83, he says, The average person doesn't realize the tremendous pressures and testings that people experience day after day in places of leadership. Leaders are often blamed for things they didn't do and criticized for things they tried to do. They're often misquoted and misunderstood and rarely given the opportunity to set the record straight. If they act quickly, they're reckless. If they bide their time, they're cowardly and unconcerned. People in places of spiritual leadership not only have the pressures that all leaders face, but they must also battle an infernal enemy who is a master deceiver and murderer. Satan comes either as a serpent who deceives or a lion who devours, and Christian leaders must be alert and spiritually equipped to oppose him. It behooves God's people to pray earnestly, not only for those in civil authority, but those who are also in places of spiritual authority. If Satan can defeat a Christian leader, he can cripple a whole ministry and discredit the cause of Christ. Now, that's pretty awesome. Some of you are own businesses, some of you are in ministry, and some of you are Christians that have humble ministries, just dealing with people person to person, and you're also getting those attacks. So I really want to make a broad application 
uh, the teens sit in on Communion Sunday. I'm actually going to touch on cyberbullying as well. So we're going we're gonna to look at this, these attacks, and how to deal with them. And what did Nehemiah do when he had to deal with them? So jumping in in verse 1, Nehemiah 6, verse 1. This is the Old Testament after Kings and Chronicles. Okay, a few books after that, you got Nehemiah. It says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. So the first attack, we'll see three of them, and then the victory. The first attack is opposition through compromise. Now put yourself in their shoes. You're doing a work of the Lord. You're trying to live an honest Christian life. Okay, and you've had this. Some have tried to come to you and cause you to compromise. You know, hey, we want to talk. Hey, let's, let's meet. Don't be rude. Play ball. Everybody, you, know, you know how it works around here. Let's play ball. The King James translates verse 2, they wanted to do me mischief. See, I don't think they were looking to kill Nehemiah because Nehemiah was also an agent of the king of Persia. And if they got found out, um, it could have put them in perilous you know, in peril with the king. So why not destroy the man of God who's doing this work and discredit him before the king than kill him yourself and put yourself under investigation, okay? But I think that when we look at this, three things were caused. They were trying to cause a distraction, a delay, and a dilution in the form of compromise, right? I see problems in Christianity. I look around and I, I follow the news and I follow trends and stuff and I see three things. One is apathy. Oh well, you know, it'll get done. Somebody will also do it. Second one is mediocrity. Oh, my walk is fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm as good as I want to be when it comes to my devotion to God. And three, compromise. Compromise with associations. Compromise, number one, can be a good thing if you look at the word in the dictionary. It can be, mean an agreement, which is good in marriage. You know, you want your marriage to last, you guys got to learn to compromise. It's one of the things we teach in marital counseling. Uh, two, compromise can also mean to weaken, which is bad when it comes to the truth of the gospel or our maintaining our witness. We don't want to compromise that in a sense of weakening it. And Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work. I can't meet with you. Listen, this is a distraction. And let me encourage you, if you're serving the Lord, uh, don't let yourself be distracted. You know, Some ministries actually start out very humble. And the pastor or the ministry is distracted in the form of an enticement, right? Something bigger, some self-aggrandizement. You know, Christians today, or you see a lot of them, they're celebrities. And the, and the, the temptation to some ministries that are doing a great work in the community is to just keep making things bigger and bigger things that can't be maintained. That can be a distraction. Some can compromise in the form of saying, well, I really could use some help here. Less relying on the Lord and, and more relying on other people. And maybe that association isn't a good association. And then some, sadly enough, I see compromise in the form of the desire for companionship. You know, people become needy. And the, the, you know, a good expression or a good question or a good concern is 
be careful what you think you need or be careful who you think you need. Okay, Nehemiah just needed the Lord. And that's why he was so successful here. That doesn't mean he had an easy road, but it meant that he didn't compromise. He had the Lord. Verse 4, it says, Nehemiah was sent this message four times by these guys, trying to get him to compromise. They were badgering him. Now I'll use Samson as an example. Delilah kept badgering him. Samson caused his own problems, though. Okay, He put himself in some stupid situations. But Delilah was a picture of the world, continuing to badger him. What is the secret of your strength? What is the secret of your strength? And eventually he gives in to her, and that very day he was made a slave, and they took his eyes out. Uh, so it ruined him. Okay, And again, Christians sometimes are badgered by the world and people that represent the world in the form of trials, in the form of temptations, in the form of compromise. Right? You see the, the big names in the news of the big ministries and pastors that have fell, fallen into sin and disappear from the face of Christianity. It didn't happen overnight. As the song goes from Casting Crowns, it's a slow fade. Little by little, the badgering, the temptations. Boy, you know what? We need to be in our word. We need to be in prayer. And we really need to be accountable to others so these things don't get to us. And at times, the enemy uses some to weasel their way into a ministry to dilute a strong work of, of God. So an attack by dilution, which I talked about. Second Corinthians 11, Satan transformed his minions or his ministers into ministers of light. Not everything you see on Facebook or, or the news or in these big promotions is necessarily a good thing. It looks good because Satan will transform his ministries into angels of light. You have to be discerning. Uh, many a minister all of a sudden has, maybe with the temptation of just getting a break, he becomes, somebody comes in very wealthy and influential, and the pastor becomes bought now because things are getting easier, stuff's getting done. Many ministers have been bought financially. And then those from influence, those of influence are calling the shots within the church. Not a good thing. I'm just going to leave you with this. And I don't have time to do a blog on a regular basis. Maybe uh, in the future I will. But this is something I put on the church Facebook wall. And for those of you that don't know, we have a Facebook wall in the church and a lot of information you can get in real time. But check this out. Talking about associations. It's called the Consider This series. I wrote, Consider this. In life, when it comes to friends, we can take one of two paths. The friends that edify us, bring us closer to God, tell us the truth no matter how painful. And these friends might not be the cool or celebrity types, but they are the strong, stable lighthouses in the midst of the waves of the oceans of life. The second group of friends are the ones that flatter. They're fun to party with. They're spiritually vacuous. They appeal to our fleshly side, but in the end, and it might not be right away, they will drag us down to a place where we can't even look into the mirror anymore. Choose wisely. Yep. There will always be evil people, but the saddest thing is to watch Christians who have a weak character follow them because they're needy. You know, they're, oh, this person's fun, they're funny, they're great to hang out with. You know what? Nehemiah rejected this sort of compromise. Let's look at the second attack. Verse 5, it says, Then Sanballat sent his servant to me. Remember, these are the same people that are trying to entice him to play ball. Before the fifth time, or as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand, meaning it was to be read in public, which means that it could eventually get back to the king. 
right? They had these open forums. This is what the letter says about Nehemiah. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you also have appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come therefore and let us take counsel together. Almost, when you have that, when somebody threatens you like that after trying to get you to partner with them, you know, it's almost in hindsight, you know, well, I'm glad I didn't partner with them. This is the type of person that I'm dealing with. I mean, this is cutthroat people. Okay, and you've experienced it on some level or another, maybe not to this extent. Verse 8, then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you, you invent them out of your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So the second attack is the opposition through slander. You can't get them with sugar, get them with salt. Salt them. See if that works. You don't want to play ball with us? Well, now we're going to ruin your reputation. Um, and again, the, 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 the request comes even after that threat. Well, you know, so how about playing ball? <laughs> Do I really want to get myself into this crowd? Do I really want to get myself into these associations? Leaders often can become the host to the parasitic nature of these types of Jealousy, critical spirits, divisive forces, and other unpleasantries. Let me use, I use Samson in one example in the first one. Let me use Joseph in the second example. So we know in Genesis that Joseph was an up, upright man, and he was in pretty much the Pharaoh's general Potiphar, his house, and he was given a lot of latitude because he was trustworthy. So Joseph, the Bible says, was a very handsome, very you know, good-looking guy, young man, and he's in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph. So there's a situation where she makes an advance on him, and he, she grabs his tunic, and he flees, and he's naked because she pulled it as he was running away. Joseph did not succumb to the temptation, but check this out. He got blamed anyway. Oh, that's happened to you, huh? <laughs> You're like, yes, Lord, I was victorious over that temptation, and I'm getting blamed anyway. You know what I'm saying? And this is, how, this is how liars are. I've dealt with liars for so long in both callings. What liars will do is they'll take 95% of the truth and mix it with 5% of lies to totally trap you. Now, look how misleading this can be. So I'm a liar, and I'm watching the situation with Joseph. So I say to the crowd, well, did Joseph go into the house? Well, yeah, he did. did. Potiphar's wife go into the house? Yeah, she did. Was there anybody else in the house? No, nobody. Did Joseph run out naked? Yeah, he did. Well, stand to reason that she fought, he, she fought him off, and therefore he deserves what he got. See how liars can take a lot of the truth and just put one little twist on it? Well, we know if you've read the story, that's not how it happened. But this is what liars will do to gain that upper hand. It's amazing, right? Verse 6, they said to Nehemiah, It is reported... Well, we can translate that today. Well, I heard. Well, people are saying. Well, people are talking. Come on, you've heard that before, haven't you? So instead of just the person airing their grievances, they have to bring in all these vague people who said these vague things about you, right? Sometimes it's 
you, you now end up with a firestorm of embellishments, and now all of a sudden you're branded whatever, and you didn't do it, right? Gossip and slander has been described as something that people have to hurry up and tell another person before they find out that it's true. <laughs> so I got a few quotes here. Um, Bible teacher G. Campbell Morgan was a target of vicious gossip, and his response was, it'll blow over. Meanwhile, I'm going to quietly go on with the Lord's work. Unfortunately for Nehemiah, the accusations were very heavy. It wasn't minor stuff, right? Here were the accusations. Sedition, insurrection. You Jews, when you finish that wall, you're going to hold yourself up and tell the king we're not paying taxes anymore. You're going to muster up an army and you're going to repel the Persian forces. This is the insinuation. So if it got back to the king, he might say, you know, I, I kind of did trust Nehemiah. Now, was he turning on me? I'm just speculating. But that was the idea to get him to be destroyed if he didn't play ball with this group. And brothers and sisters, we talked about the three responses when you're falsely accused and attacked. Okay, we talked about Nehemiah, depending on the situation, how he responded. Unfortunately, he did have to call it out as a lie because it could have meant, listen, leaders know that they can be attacked, they can be, you know, whatever could happen to them. But his concern also had to be for the Jewish people, the innocent people who were working on the project, and now Persian forces are mustering up outside the wall and they're going to attack. So he had to consider everybody and called them out as a liar. And you might be in a situation, maybe at your job, where somebody doesn't like you for whatever reason. And maybe they tell your boss, oh, I saw, I saw them taking cash from the box. Or I saw them coming in half an hour late three days in a row, and maybe it's not true. And you might have to answer and say to your boss, no, that's not true. It, that didn't happen. You can check the records. You can check the cameras. I didn't do that. I'm being falsely accused. Sometimes the idea is that we're, we're super spiritual if we just don't say anything at all. But again, it could affect your livelihood. It could affect how you feed your family. So you see how these things happen in Nehemiah, but how it can affect you in, in you know, 2,500 years later. Right? Evil people will attack, and if they know you're a Christian, they know that your responses are limited because you're a person of God now. You can't fight back with the same ferocity that you did before you were a believer. You have a new spirit in you. It's not the spirit of vengeance. And they'll use that to their advantage. I can tell you as a, as a police officer for many years on the road, I've been in more than a few chases, and um, your adrenaline goes up and you're driving a police car, and you got the siren, and you're calling your backup, you're calling the streets, you're communicating with dispatch. In your mind, you're thinking of all the attorney general's guidelines that you don't want to violate, but otherwise it will put you in trouble. And the only thing the suspect is thinking is how he can get away. He's not concerned. He can run over a pedestrian, he could hit another car, he could go up the wrong way. You've seen these chases on TV. And the officer has to be very measured. He has to not allow the adrenaline to take over his judgment. And if, God forbid, the person being pursued hits a pedestrian, well, you can't just go, oh, I hope they're okay. Either you or your backup car has to stop and give first aid to that person to make sure they're okay. And so I learned early on, even before I was a Christian, that sometimes things aren't fair in life. You know what I'm saying? I'm the one following all the rules, and this guy just does whatever he wants. And then if he hits somebody, who are they going to sue? The police department. Poli uh, deep pockets, you know what I'm saying? But... People are like that. They do this. They, they count on your goodness to gain the upper hand. So, Pastor Joe, what are we supposed to do? Honestly, it has to be visceral. 
you really have to give it to the Lord. There's just going to be times where you can get into this thing with somebody else and, and you say to yourself, well, how far do I take this? And at some point, you just take your hands off the wheel and say, you know what, Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't go back to my old ways and my old nature. This is something I need you to, to do for me. That's when really giving it to God and trusting God comes into effect. I'll say this as well, and it doesn't happen that often, but a person tries to change their life, right? And they, this church, other churches, I've seen it a few times. So while someone from your family doesn't like it, you're, you're breaking away from the religion of the family, or you're, you know, you're breaking away from your peers, and they're doing things they shouldn't be doing, and you just want to better yourself. So every once in a while, I'll get, and I'm just, listen, I know you guys like when I speak real. If you're new to the church, this is what I do. This is how we roll here. I'll get an email, I'll get a letter, I'll get a phone call of somebody in your life who is not happy about what you're doing. And they'll tell me in a letter or an email these horrible things about you and how I should kick you out of the church. Well, guess what? I give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm not just going to accept a one-sided story, and I know a lot, of, a lot of where this is coming from. And people who start to come to church do still have a lot of worldly ways. But it isn't for me to force them to change. That's something that the Word does in your relationship with God. But let me just say this to you. If I do that for you, you also need to do that for me. See, it's a two-way street with relationships. I have a few scriptures here. Proverbs 18.13. It says, He who answers, answers a matter before he hears it. In other words, you're only getting one side of the story. This is what the Bible says about you if you do this. It's shameful and it's foolish. Proverbs 18.17. It says, The first one who pleads his cause seems right. The first one who grabs your ears and starts whispering, right, until his neighbor comes and cross-examines him. Oftentimes we hear something and it sounds, wow, that, that person will sit with you for an hour and they'll tell such a tale about somebody and it sounds, wow, this person is a rotten person until you go to them and they go, that's not how it happened. Remember the Joseph example? They put a few things in there and they added some lies and boom, your reputation is ruined. And you hear it and you go, Okay, there's definitely another side to this story. Verse 8, I love this. He says, Nehemiah, and another uh, translation has him saying to Sanballat, no such thing as you say are being done. You're, you're, you make this up out of your own head, right? You ever deal with somebody like that? They're such creative liars. They should, instead of lying about people, they should write children's books, you know, like fairy tales because they're just so good at such an imagination, you know, basically, listen, <laughs> we're going to destroy you, so, so come and join us, right? Come join us, otherwise we're going to destroy you. Uh, I'll give you a little homework assignment. Look up the term borderline personality disorder. Oh, you have, huh? <laughs> you deal with somebody who's a borderline, they're narcissistic, they lie, and basically all you have to do is mildly disagree with them and you become the target of their attacks. And I gotta tell you, with social media, people have these inflated egos of themselves. They have their own little kingdoms in cyber world. And I really think Dr. Keith Ablo is a, a, a psychiatrist that has written about this a lot. I really think it's detrimental to the culture because we end up living in a fantasy world that's not real. We can't hear negative things about ourselves delete that person, you know, destroy them on social media, you know what I'm saying? This is my kingdom you've entered, you know what I'm saying? So, 
it is what it is. When you look at gossip, lies, slander, forget about it in the political world. I, it's just, I would never want to enter politics, but it can destroy somebody's business. It can destroy their reputation. It can destroy so many things. But let me just say this, now that we have the teens in here this morning, cyberbullying. You know that, and it's mostly from all the articles I've read, teenage girls who have t- taken their own lives over cyberbullying. So, you know, the old ways of bullying has gotten to the point where you build this, this world in cyberspace, and a lot of kids are tied into the, the cyber world, and they're picked on and harassed mercilessly until they take their lives. I just want to reach out to the teens this morning and say, you know what, don't be a secret admirer. You see somebody who's being treated like that, become an ally. If it's not fair and it's not true, maybe they feel like they don't have a friend in the world. You know? And I can tell you something, it's sad I have to say this to adults, it's the same thing. Don't be a secret admirer. And can I tell you something, here's the fear, especially on social media. The fear is when you go up against the bully, then all of a sudden the posts start turning towards you. Now all of a sudden, nobody wants that until the person takes their life and it's a tragedy in the community. And then people say, I, I should have. I wanted to. I was afraid. You know? And if that's happened to you, don't beat yourself up over it. Just learn for the next time. Okay? Sad stuff out there. Verse 9. Again, he, he was saying that the design was trying to make us afraid Quote, their hands will be weakened in the work of the Lord, in a sense, and it will not be done. Strengthen us, O God. So Nehemiah did a few things. He called, he denied the accusation, pretty much called Sanballat a liar. It's not, it's not off limits. Jesus had um, very caustic things to say about the religious leaders in Matthew 23, and they were true, okay? He never sinned. He called it the way it was, Right? Um, Nehemiah prayed, and he went back to the work of God. Again, the design is to crush us so that we stop doing the work of God. And there are those out there that they are just, they don't even know they're being played by the enemy. It's the demonic spirit that drives them. You know, how is somebody a borderline? How is somebody a compulsive liar? How is somebody a compulsive scammer? They have no light in them. It's demonic forces that are ruling them and cause them to negatively affect others. Okay? Let's look at the third attack before the victory. Verse 10. Afterward, I came down to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, the, the son of Methetabil, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God, within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night, they will come to kill you. You ever deal with somebody who really under, supposedly is a believer and they, they reinforce your fears? Question that relationship. They're always talking to you. To, and you, every, it's like every time I talk to that person, I feel worse. We're supposed to be encouragers, not fear mongers. Okay? So this person is uh, in the body of believers. He actually has a position. But he's a, he's a traitor. He's a turncoat. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all discernment. 
but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. It's amazing when God gives you a word of knowledge and all of a sudden an answer comes into your mind that you would never through empirical standards know. You knew it had to be by the Holy Spirit. 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have occasion for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these works, these their works, and the prophetess Noadia and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. A lot of people here. The third attack is opposition through treachery. So let's look at these alternating attacks. The first one is a temptation, right, to get him through temptation, uh, Nehemiah. The second one is through a trial. Let's press him. Let's squeeze him. Let's see if he gives in. And three, let's get him through trickery. Right? You've seen this. And what was Jeremiah trying to do? Very clever. To play on Nehemiah's fears and to get him to go into the temple to hide. They're going to kill you. You better go in here. Now, let's look at number one. Only the priestly line was allowed to go inside the temple. King Uzziah in Second Chronicles brought leprosy, judgment upon himself for doing this. He was so lifted up with pride, he went into the temple to uh, make an offering. Uh, some things that look good on the surface, but they're really not good. You know, the, the fruit for Eve looked really good. And then she showed it to her husband, and he thought it looked good. And look what happened to mankind since then, right? O Uzziah says, I'm going to go offer a, an incense to God, a, a, a sacrifice. Looked good on, this, on the surface, but he was breaking God's law. So be careful of things that look good and pleasing, but they're really not. That's where discernment has to come in. That's where knowing the Word of God has to come in. So the attack was someone who, and this is really twisted, tries to get you to destroy you. Pretty good trick if they can do it. Balaam, the prophet, um, coached Balak about the children of Israel. He goes, get them to destroy themselves. So they set something up where there was this orgy between the Israelites and the Moabite women. And they, they brought judgment upon themselves. It was, a, it was a great plan. It was evil, but it was very clever. Again, to make matters worse, when this comes from a fellow believer planning your downfall, right? Or a so-called fellow believer. Alan Redpath said this, Be careful of those who are friendly to your face, but they plan your downfall behind your back. Beware of the fawning, flattering Christian who is always fluttering around you and who behind your back will be the first to rejoice when you go down. Now, a lot of quotes this morning. Because this is just one of those sermons that really hits everybody. And if it hasn't happened to you, don't worry, it will. <laughs> Sorry, that's your uplifting message for this morning. But you have the Lord on your side, right? That's the, the best part of it. Discernment. Discernment. Two things. Number one, in the world... In the temporal and the physical, discernment is the ability to judge well. Discernment spiritually is the ability to have spiritual understanding and insight. To really know what's going on, even though through empirical methods you, you don't know. Through actual physical methods of observation, this just comes supernaturally. So discernment, D David Guzik says this. He says, many people confuse being discerning with being negative or cynical. But discernment is just as able to see the good where others might miss it as, check this out, discernment, as seeing the bad where others might see good according to the outward appearance. Christians today suffer a great deal because they lack discernment. 
They follow those who give a good appearance but don't walk in the nature of Jesus. They accept things blindly because it looks good or sounds good without carefully judging it against the whole counsel of God's word. Again, it, it looks good on the surface. The man who, who's a, a spiritual leader, so to speak, a religious leader who's constantly on the news saying these off-the-wall things, but because he has a title and he wears certain vestments, people accept it. Right? It's evil cloaked in good. Okay? Just whatever somebody says, including me. That's why you all have Bibles there. I see a lot of you, look at this whole front row, the teens, they all have them opened up. They're checking on me. They're the fact checkers. You know what I'm saying? These are the church fact checkers. And it's cool. That's what I want. So I don't go off wacky and people say, what happened to Pastor Joe, man? He started off pretty good. You know, I don't want that either. Trust me. So the second thing about a bad idea about Nehemiah going into the temple is this. Look at, look at this from another angle. If Nehemiah would have gone into the temple, people would have said, oh no, our leader is afraid. This isn't good. And he didn't make enough room for the rest of us. We're still out here. He's hiding in the temple. Fear would have undermined his leadership position. Now, I hate to say this, but leaders are expected to have a certain degree of fearlessness. Leaders are just human. However, displaying uh, an over amount of, of fear can be detrimental and undermine their subordinates. Right? Keep that in mind. Now, I'm naming Tobiah, Sam Ballot, Geshem. Nehemiah just had way too many enemies. You know? And it's one of those things, too, where, where he's trying to do this work. And, it's, and when you read the last few chapters, it's constant. The priests are saying negative things. The nobles are saying negative things. The people are scared. Some of the prophets are turncoats. Some of the, the leaders are turncoats. And Nehemiah is trying to do this work of God. And he's just getting bombarded. See, the, the idea was to get Nehemiah to put the bricks down and the gates and to go to everybody and putting all these fires out. And we, we could be in that position too, but if you're doing a work of God, you can't do a work of God and full-time try to defend your reputation at the same time. It doesn't work. But that's the whole plan of the evil one, you see? So what did Nehemiah have to do? He, listen, he had limited responses, but he had to give the rest of it to the Lord. He just had way too many enemies. Remember, Nehemiah is an outsider. He comes in, and there's a whole establishment going on, and he's trying to break into that. So a lot of times they just look at him as an outsider. Right? I tell you, Pastor Paul's message last Sunday about Jeremiah was fantastic. Uh, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> if you didn't get it, check it out on the, you know, on the website. But it, I can see the Jeremiah thing going along with this. Last few verses, this is it. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them. So there's this still this traitorous correspondence going back and forth, right? For many in Judah were pledged to him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehonanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. This is politics, brothers and sisters. And I got to tell you, we, we get disturbed in Western Christianity, I know I do, when we read articles about these political alliances of, of men and women who are supposed to be Christian leaders and they're, they're in bed with all these, you know, it's just disheartening. 
And this is what was going on, political alliances. You don't want your spiritual leaders to be into politics. You want them to be, you know, separated from that stuff. My, my idea, I'll meet any, I've met mayors and uh, council people. My goal is to lead them to the Lord, not to get something from them. Once you start doing that back and forth, you're in, it's almost like being in the mob. You're in this, this cabal of favors for favors, you know, and money exchanging and do this for me and I'll do it. And there's been times that the temptation has come my way and I just said, you know, I, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't do that. I'll stay, we'll stay a small community church. I'm good with that. Verse 19, also they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him and Tobias sent letters to frighten me. That's how the chapter ends. It just didn't stop. I just want to encourage you. Listen, I know more than a handful of you right now are going through something. Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're um, you know, a more mature believer and you're dealing with something. Let this encourage you. I mean, what's the, you know, what are the odds that you walked in here today and this is speaking to your situation? We're just going through the Bible chronologically. God knows. So verse 15 through 19, three attacks are over. The fourth part of this equation is the best part. It's victory. It's the completion of the reconstruction. There's a very old expression, and I looked it up, and it goes back actually to the 1800s and, and beyond. But there's an expression that says this, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. That last attack was nasty, really nasty. And if he got sucked into that trick, it would have all been over. But it was a really dark hour spiritually, and all of a sudden, the sunlight comes up. It's a euphemism um, analogy. Verse 16, it's extremely powerful that the whole time God's people were being harassed, threatened, frightened, tormented. And finally, everything comes together, and there's victory. And isn't Victory, sweet, when it finally comes. Amen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the enemy was disheartened because what? They had the numbers. They were surrounding them on every compass point. They had the upper hand, and they still lost. And what did the enemy come to the conclusion? God is with them. It's not going to work. However, Tobiah still sent letters to frighten Nehemiah. He wasn't quitting this guy. All right? And I got to tell you, sometimes we experience the victory when we just stop fighting. We lay down our arms and say, you know what, Lord? I can't, I can't. I'm, I'm too deep. I got to get out of this. And we let the Lord fight our battles. Let him deal with it. Now, just want to take a little side note here. Verse 14, 17, and 18. The nobles and some of the prophets were working for the enemy. Okay? How did the Jews sell out their own people? Turn with me to Jeremiah 9. A few verses. This is another bad day in Israel's history. Okay, You look at the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, it, the same thing was happening in both. And then eventually the southern kingdom survived. But he says this in Jeremiah 9, 3. And like their bow, they have bent their tongues for lies. They are not valiant for the truth on earth. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. How could somebody like that know the Lord? Oh, I'm a Christian. Hey, come here, come here. Let's get away from everybody else. And they just start filling your ear. Are they walking with the Lord? I don't think so. They don't know God. Everyone take heed to his neighbor and do not trust any brother. 
See, when the society breaks down, people are divided. You know, I, I'm sad to see what's going on in American culture. American, average Americans are letting the stuff they see on the news divide them. People are at each other's throats. We're all broken up into little splinter groups. So we can look at all each other and say, you're different from me. You know, my group is better than your group. That's what we see going on. And this happened with God's people back then. He says, do not trust any brother. That's a sad situation. For every brother will utterly supplant and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. And they have taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Could you imagine living in a neighborhood like that? Maybe you do. I don't know. We'll pray for you more. You know, <laughs> send me your prayer list. But, you know, I mean, look, people have been traitors all since the beginning of time. I'll give you a few examples. It was a fellow Greek who went to the Persians and betrayed the 300 Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae, right? Because he was going to get a benefit from it. Jesus, the Son of God, walked with men for three, three and a half years, and one of his own disciples betrayed him, right? We know this from history. Some Africans betrayed others in other villages and sold them to the Europeans to gain a benefit. We know this too. If you, if you study history, some Jews policed their own in ghettos and concentration camps to get a benefit and save their own lives. And some Christians, or call themselves Christians, are just out for themselves, and they'll do anything for a benefit and sell somebody down the river. It's not pleasant to hear, is it? But there have always been traitors, okay? And it's no different here. And, and here's the sad thing. It's, and, and again, I see, I look at these interviews, somebody with a title, spiritual title, and they'll go on and they'll talk about, you know, a, a hot topic, and they'll water down the gospel because they want to be well-received by the world. So it'll, it'll either be a person watering down the word of God, not telling the truth about it, or watering down the gospel, right? Jesus Christ came. He died for our sins. He, he brings the way and entrance into heaven, trusting him as our Lord and Savior, or watering down our witness, our, the way we come off to people, our behavior, how we, how we go about our lives as Christians, any of those three things. And my question to you is, are you influencing those around you for good, or are you allowing those in your circles to influence you for bad? Only each one of us can answer that question. Have we ever betrayed another? Have we ever betrayed God and His Word? Have we ever allowed money, influence, pet doctrines or relationships to be put above God's will and the truth? Well, Nehemiah gets a victory at last and the t attacks are over except for, except for Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Right? And you may have a Tobiah in your life. Don't call out their name. <laughs> right? And they're still picking at you, picking, picking. They're trying to nibble you to death like a duck, you know? When we're in the middle of it, we've all been there. It seems like it'll never end. You can remember the worst situations, look back and thinking, gee, I thought it would never end, but it finally does. And you're glad it's over. And you know what? Sometimes we're left with scars, emotional scars, right? Sometimes physical scars. For those going through attacks right now, I want to encourage you. For Nehemiah, it might have seemed like a lifetime too. For the Jews in Jerusalem, maybe some of them just said, you know what, we'll, we'll just be their slaves. I'm, I'm scared to death, at least before I paid them off and they left me alone. I like to, you know, we see this. Right? We see this in real life. So I just want to encourage you. 
If right now you're going through a period where it's spiritually dark and you can't see proverbially your hand in front of your face, just keep trusting in God. You know? Maybe after the service is over, grab one of us and ask for prayer. Say, boy, this thing really hit me. And I'm going to tell you something. If it did hit you and you're still going through it, God is with you. He's encouraging you through His Word as He always does. Again, it's no coincidence you're sitting in here. So I want to encourage you, stick around after church. I also want you to trust God because this is really going to test our faith and leave it in His hands. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.